couple of weeks ago, my wife Kathy woke up in the morning and told me, she said, I had a terrible dream last night. And I said, really? I said, that's coincidental because I had a terrible dream last night. Tell me about your dream. Tell me about your terrible dream. And before I tell you about her terrible dream, it's important to know that Kathy has just retired from 21 years of teaching elementary school, uh, 16 of which she spent teaching kindergarten at San Antonio Christian Schools. And so I said, tell me about your terrible dream. She said, my terrible dream was this. I dreamed that I was still teaching. (laughs) To which then she said, well, tell me about your terrible dream. And I said, my terrible dream was that I was getting up to preach at Wayside, and I was totally unprepared. As a matter of fact, at the podium, I, I had the rough draft of my notes, and, and, and they were all askew, and I was trying to put them in order, and I glanced down at Roger sitting here on the front row, to which Kathy said, well, did, did Roger say anything to you? And I said, well, yes, as a matter of fact, he did. And she said, well, what did he say to you? And I said, Roger said, why don't you just close in prayer? <laughs> so I'm just going to go ahead and close in prayer this morning. That's all right. Today we're completing our 10-week summer preaching series in the book of Proverbs. Uh, it's been a great, great series. As a matter of fact, Michael uh, spilled the beans last week. If you haven't noticed that we stretched the series from five to, to ten weeks, uh, seven different uh, pastors on staff uh, preaching in this series. I don't know if you know this, but Proverbs is one of the most unpreached books in the Bible. And I think it has to do with its uh, uh, wisdom genre of literature, uh, literature genre, and, um, and, and the fact of the structure of it, that there are some parts of it that follow a theme, but that really the vast majority of Proverbs are um, disconnected, uh, pithy wisdom sayings. And so it is that it's seldom that you hear uh, a message being preached or the uh, Proverbs being preached through as a series. Uh, our series is that we... Uh, just selected different topics that that we uh, chose to preach on. Um, but if there's anything that we should learn or should have learned from this series in the book of Proverbs is this, that Proverbs is ancient wisdom for today. Proverbs is just as relevant today as wisdom literature as it was in the days when it was first written down under the inspiration of the Spirit of God. So let me begin today by asking you a question. When you read or hear the phrase, fear of the Lord, what comes to your mind? What images do, mental images do you have when you hear that phrase, the fear of the Lord. Do the words conjure up thoughts 
of a time period long past? Um, do you uh, look at this as a, an archaic biblical phrase that really has no more relevance in our day and time? Or do you associate the words with a legalistic mindset within the present day church? Well, in our study today, we're going to see that the fear of the Lord not only has relevance today, but that it is to be the basic tenor of our lives for each and every one of us. So let's look at fear of the Lord. We begin in Proverbs 1, 7, where the writer says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. You know, this is the whole theme of the book of of Proverbs. If you want, underline that in your Bible. Put that out in the marginal note because that helps to understand what Proverbs is all about. And it begins with the fear of the Lord. That phrase, fear of the Lord, uh, throughout Proverbs, it's used 11 times, um, as well as just the phrase fear of the Lord is used four times throughout the book of Proverbs. But here in Proverbs 1-7, as we read that the fear of the Lord is the beginning. Beginning here, uh, the, the Hebrew word that's used there means start. So we could read this, the fear of the Lord is the start of knowledge. Um, the, the fact that this is the start of knowledge... This is the knowledge of spiritual things and the understanding of them. Or we could say that this is the start of the all knowledge because all knowledge ultimately gets back to God, does it not? And so as we look at this, it's important for us to begin at the right place. And the right place to start is with the fear of the Lord. You know, there is no knowledge of spiritual things apart from the fear of the Lord when you get down to it. Uh, Paul speaks of man in his natural condition over in Romans 3.18, and he's quoting out of Psalm 36.1, where he says, of the natural man... And in his ignorance is the context that he's speaking of. He says, there is no fear of God before their eyes. Apart from the fear of the Lord, there is only ignorance of all knowledge and understanding of that knowledge within the context of understanding life and its meaning. The fear of the Lord... Also, it says in Proverbs 9, in verse 10, states that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It looks like the writer has just replaced the word knowledge with wisdom. And yet, in reality, the Hebrew word used here for beginning actually conveys the idea of prerequisite. 
So we could read here, the fear of the Lord is the prerequisite for wisdom. In other words, the prerequisite for wisdom is not only the fear of the Lord, but the knowledge of God, the Holy One. Now, what's the difference between knowledge and wisdom? Well, knowledge is about having information or it's about being aware of something. It's about having the facts uh, gleaned either through study or research or observation or even experience. Wisdom, on the other hand, is about having discernment and good judgment in order to evaluate those facts and to be able to make good decisions. I remember when our kids were in high school, um, we would always pray in our times together as a family, and Kathy and I always pray that our kids would be able to make good and wise decisions. And, and one day my wife told me that Johnny, our teenage son at the time, came to Kathy and said, why is dad always praying that we would be able to make good and wise decisions. And she said, well, it's primarily because we want you to make good and wise decisions. (laughs) That's wisdom. The fear of the Lord is not only the start for enabling us to gain the knowledge of God, but as we said, it's the prerequisite for enabling us to gain wisdom, not only for understanding God, but for understanding all of life as well. We're going to look at three things today as we look at the fear of the Lord. First of all, we're going to look at what the fear of the Lord is not. Secondly, we're going to look at what the fear of the Lord is. And then lastly, we're going to look at what the fear of the Lord looks like. So let's begin. What the fear of the Lord is not. The fear of the Lord is not what Martin Luther identified as a servile submission. And what Martin Luther did was he made a distinction between a servile submission as opposed to a filial uh, submission. And we'll talk about both of those. So what did he mean by a servile fear? Martin Luther said this is the fear that one would experience being held captive by another. This is the sense of dread that a prisoner of war would feel being held captive and being at the total mercy of an enemy enemy captor. It's the trepidation that a slave would feel at the hands of a cruel slave owner. You know, I can't help but think of Louis Zamperini and the story Unbroken of his experiences of being held at a Japanese prisoner of war camp in Japan and just the, the brutality that he experienced then. Or Senator John McCain and the other fellow POWs and what they experienced at the hands of the brutal North Vietnamese captors in the infamous Hanoi Hilton 
during the Vietnam War. No doubt, no doubt, they daily experienced the servile fear that Martin Luther was talking about, some of them enduring it for seven long years. The fear of the Lord is not about being fearful. Almost sounds contradictory, doesn't it? And yet there's a difference between having a fear and being fearful. Uh, to be fearful is to, to be afraid, to, to have a, a sense of impending danger, uh, being afraid of what might be around the next corner or having to always look over your shoulder. A few years ago, I experienced that fear. Kathy and I were up at a marriage intensive retreat in Divide, Colorado, and the week-long retreat was structured such that each day we would have about half the day to be able to just do something with our spouse. There were only five couples involved in this marriage-intensive retreat. And it was primarily or exclusively for couples who were engaged in full-time ministry. And so Kathy and I would take advantage of those days, obviously since we were in Colorado, is that we got a hold of some uh, trail maps in some of the public wilderness areas around Divide. And so each day we would pack a lunch and uh, fill up our water bottles and set out on a, on a different hike each way, driving half an hour to 45 minutes, parking th- right there at the trailhead and, and hiking for however many hours on end. Well, the last day of the retreat, the retreat ended, you know, it was after breakfast. We had our final time together. We were all packed, ready to, to leave, and we said our goodbyes to everyone. And um, it was mid-morning, and Kathy and I had decided we're going to do one more hike. And so, again, we uh, made our lunches, filled our water bottles, and uh, drove off the uh, to, to another wilderness area and um, parked the car and uh, found the trailhead and, and began our hike with our, with our trail map in hand. And as we began hiking, it was a gorgeous day, and uh, we hiked probably for, I don't know, a couple of hours, and maybe it was like one o'clock in the afternoon that we came to this gorgeous over, overlook. It was just absolutely breathtaking. And we decided to sit down and, and have our lunch there, and so we did. And while we were having lunch, um, two hikers came by, and we exchanged greetings, and they went on their way, and what we didn't know was those were the only two people that we were going to see for the next five hours. And so after lunch, we began hiking again, and uh, what we were looking for was this uh, geological formation, was kind of the highlight of the trail, and we kept hiking and hiking and hiking and no geological formation and uh, kept looking at the map, yep, we're on the trail, and and finally, we came upon uh, the geological formation, and it was, it was spectacular. But I noticed off to the west, there was a cloud buildup. And if you know anything about being in the mountains, you don't want to be in the mountains out hiking uh, when there's an approaching storm. I didn't say anything to Kathy, but 
I just parked that in the back of my mind that we need to not linger. And so we kept hiking, thinking that we were making a complete loop. And we hiked and we hiked and we hiked, seeing no one. We finally got to a point in the trail where it took us down into a valley. And down in that valley, as it began to start raining... Uh, we were, it was leading us into this marshy area with these tall, tall reeds. And as we hiked along and the, we, the reeds got thicker, the trail ended. And I told Kathy, I said, wait here, I'm going to go through the we, uh, reeds and see if I can pick up the trail somewhere on the other side. And I did, and I didn't. I did look for the trail, I couldn't find the trail. And by then I noticed that the storm was fully upon us. The rain was coming down uh, intensely. Uh, There was lightning around us, and I knew this is not a good situation. And so I looked over, and there was an overgrowth, uh, kind of an overhanging growth of, of, of vegetation that we hid under until the storm passed. And while we were sitting there, I've got to tell you that I was fearful. I was fearful not so much in the fact that I was fearful for myself, but I was just fearful in the fact that I couldn't believe that I had possibly put Kathy in harm's way. We had run out of water. We had no bear spray. Uh, By the way, we were up in Montana last month, and they were telling us there that if you don't have bear spray, take a gun with you on your hike, and oh, by the way, save the last bullet for yourself. No gun, no bear spray. But as we sat there, I thought about our kids. And again, I want to emphasize how fearful I was, even though I did not convey that to Kathy or tell her verbally. Later on, she told me I could tell how fearful you were. We prayed And then as we sat there waiting for the storm to pass, I thought of our kids, and I thought, what are they going to tell our kids when they find our remains out here days down the road? Because nobody knew we were there. Nobody knew where we were. But as the rain began to let up, I looked across the valley that we were down in the bottom of, And I saw a ridge, and on that ridge, I saw what looked like a trail going along the ridge. And when the rain stopped, I told Kathy, I said, I think that's our trail up there. And so after the storm had passed, we made our way across the valley up that ridge, and sure enough, there was the trail. No sooner did we get on that trail when here comes two hikers hiking in the opposite direction. And we asked them, how much further is it to the trailhead? Because by then, night was beginning to set in and it was getting dark. And to our relief, they said, oh, the trailhead is just around the corner. You see, having a fear is not the same thing as being fearful And as we talk about the fear of the Lord, it's having fear, it's fearing God 
fearing the Lord, but not being fearful of him. What else does it say that the fear of the Lord is not? It's not about, or it's not without conversion. What I mean by this is the fact that saving grace is what imparts the fear of the Lord. By saving grace, perhaps some of you hearing that for the first time, the saving grace that God shows to us through Jesus Christ our Lord. That point where in our lives that we come to realize that we are sinners, that we are not sinners because we sin, but the fact that we sin because we are sinners. We've got a problem because the scripture says your sin has caused a separation between you and God. And saving grace is where God through his spirit quickens the heart of the individual, bringing that one to the knowledge of their sin and of their plight of being separated from God and brings them to faith. That's saving grace. Saving grace imparts the fear of the Lord. And in doing so, it does not harden the heart, but it in fact softens the heart. It gives us a sensitivity toward sin. Uh, Sin being that which is anything contrary to the character of God. And it does so out of a filial fear of God. Uh, Filial being the idea of relationship, uh, of family, and therefore wanting to please God. It is a fear of God that is wanting and willing to change that which is contrary to the character of God in my life. It is inconsistent to have a proper fear of the Lord without bringing about the needed changes in your life. So what is the fear of the Lord? The fear of the Lord is sourced out of faith. It is a fear that is sourced out of faith which begs the question, What then is faith? Well, we know that the writer of the Hebrews says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. You see, faith is a future reality that is so real, it's as if it's a present reality. And see, our faith, is only as sure and as strong as the object of our faith. And see, God does not want us to be in this place of servile fear, but he wants us to be in the place of faith. And what is faith? It is trust. Think of the number of times that the scriptures say, do not fear, do not be afraid. Listen to the psalmist in Psalm 56.3, and he repeats it in verse 10. 
When I am afraid, I will put my trust in you, in God whose word I praise, in God I have put my trust, I shall not be afraid. What can mere man do to me? You see, God does not want us to be afraid of him, but he wants us to trust him. But the fear of the Lord is also based on hope. And what is hope? And what is the basis of our hope? You know, I'll be honest with you, I, and it's just a personal thing, I don't like that when we sing in that hymn and in a praise song, when we sing, He hasn't failed us yet. (laughs) To me, it's almost like it's leaving the door open of, you know, he hadn't failed us, but he might. (laughs) No, that's an impossibility. That's an impossibility because the fact is, is that God can never act contrary to his character. You know, if, if you were to sit and ask God, God, tell me about you. Who are you? How do you think God would answer that question? In other words, how would God describe himself? Well, he did that. He did that over in Exodus 34, verses 6, six through 7, on Mount Sinai to Moses when he said, Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed. Now listen how God describes himself. This is God's self-revelation. The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin, yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. This is the God we are to fear. But we can also see that the fear of the Lord is motivated from love. You know, I grew up in a intact home, and I recognized that I was very privileged to have done so. Uh, I was one of six kids. I still am. Um, I'm a forgotten middle child. Love it. <laughs> Mom and dad, no question that they loved each other. And they gave us a, a, a sense, us kids, a, a sense of security, of knowing that mom and dad loved each other. And so I feared my dad. I feared my dad with a filial fear. I wasn't afraid of my dad. As a matter of fact, you know, the the relationship between a parent and a child is different from the relationship between a grandchild and a grandparent. Kathy and I are learning that. (laughs) It's wonderful. (laughs) But my dad's dad whom I'm named after, 
and I'm proud to wear his name because of the fact that I so respected my grandfather. I so adored him. I revered him. And my fear of my grandfather, like my fear of my father, was a filial fear because of the relationship and because of the respect that I had for both of them and my love for them because of knowing what they had done and were doing for me, that my fear of them was that I never wanted to do anything that would disappoint them. They never held that over my head, and yet I never wanted to displease them. Why? Because my fear was motivated from love. Our fear of God is motivated out of love for him. And especially when we realize what he's done for us through Christ Jesus. So what does the fear of the Lord look like? Well, it looks like this. It's evidenced in strong confidence. Proverbs 14:26 says, In the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence. You see, our fear of the Lord is is not a fear where we're afraid to approach God, where we cower in the corner. No. It says that we are to approach the throne of God with boldness, with confidence. It's not a flippancy. It's not just treating God as like he's my buddy, because God is holy other. But it's a fear of respect and reverence, and yet I can boldly approach God in my relationship with him. It's evidenced in strong confidence. The fear of the Lord is characterized by obedience. Notice in Proverbs 16, 6, by the fear of the Lord, one keeps away from evil. You know, sad to say today in the church is that I think that we've become too preoccupied with how far away from God can I get and still be okay, as opposed to having the mindset of, How much closer can I get to God? You see, like the proverb says, the fear of the Lord, by the fear of the Lord, one keeps away from evil. It's as it says in Job, I will set no unclean thing before my eyes. One of my favorite verses, I shared this with my discipleship group this week. Daniel 1.8, Daniel made up his mind not to defile himself. Daniel wanting to be obedient to the dietary laws of his people, that he did not want to do anything that was going to violate that. And shortly thereafter, we read that King Nebuchadnezzar just put out the most unbelievable spread before 
banquet spread before Daniel and his friends. And yet Daniel had made up his mind not to defile himself. And I think he had done that prior to finding himself in that situation. You see, once we find ourselves in the situation where we're facing evil, more times than not, I think it's too late. We need to be like Daniel and make up our mind ahead of, our, ahead of time. I'm not going to defile myself. I'm not going to put myself in the place of being tempted by evil. Lastly, the fear of the Lord is demonstrated in conviction. Proverbs 8, 13, it says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. It's to detest evil. It's to be a stench in our nostrils that just drives us away. We're to be repulsed by evil rather than entertaining thoughts of engaging in it. So my last question to you is, what does the fear of the Lord look like in your life? I love this proverb. The fear of the Lord leads to life so that one may sleep satisfied, untouched by evil. Anybody in here have trouble sleeping? I'm throwing away my CPAP. (laughs) Do you hear what this is saying? The fear of the Lord leads to life. Didn't Jesus say, I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. Such that when you and I lay our head down on the pillow at night, knowing that in the fear of the Lord that I have done business with God, that between me and God it is forever settled in heaven. The fear of the Lord leads to life so that one may sleep satisfied. I almost picture sleeping with a smile on your face, untouched by evil. I tell you, husbands, this is what the fear of the Lord is to look like in our lives. We're to love our wives like Christ loved the church. That's what the fear of the Lord is to look like in our lives as husbands. And wives, the fear of the Lord in your lives What does it look like? It looks like respecting your husbands. I always tell couples in my premarital counseling, I'll look the guy square in the eyes and say, you be the kind of person that makes it easy for her to respect you. And I will look at her and I will say, you be the kind of person that makes it easy for him to love you. What about you children? What does the fear of the Lord look like in your lives? I'll tell you what it looks like. Children, honor your mother and your father. Children, be obedient to your parents. That is the fear of the Lord. Let's pray. 
Father, we are so grateful for this time that we've had perusing the book of Proverbs and the wisdom that's contained within it. And I pray, Father, that at the conclusion of our study, that we would be able to look back and to see how this study has made a difference in our lives, not just for the sake of gleaning knowledge, but, Father, for the knowledge that leads to wisdom and the fear of the Lord that we're to walk in before you each and every day. Father, we thank you and we love you, and we pray these things gratefully in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.